Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question, which is about change. And obviously, there's always a temptation to extrapolate from the present to the future. So let's just take the caveat that, that, that these things can't be entirely uh, guaranteed. But, but have you thought about what changes you might make in relation to your own business, uh, you know, going forward? Who, who would like to have a go at that? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start on that. Um, certainly, you, you're can't help but absorb this change here and working remotely and how people are able to, you know, frankly take their whole company as, as we did. And all of a sudden you're working hundred percent from home and you're engaging with clients and you're kind of moving from that into that business as usual. So some of the chain is manifesting us and rethinking things like, okay, you know, do we always want to have 100% of our people in the office? Or should we creating some social distancing in the near future to not only deal with this crisis, but also just to make sure we're diversifying our concentrations? So right now, I think we're starting to think about the physical aspects of this. Uh, I think it will certainly change the patterns for doing business and the expectations for travel. Uh, we'll still travel. We'll still get in front of clients one day. But I think the amount we did may change as, as the clients and the asset managers are more comfortable having a meaningful dialogue virtually. Yeah. Uh, anybody else want to come in on this, on the change point? Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, I think we're looking at it kind of similar to, to the comments that Thomas has made, but we're being very distinctive in terms of thinking about it in terms of changes that are relevant to uh, kind of meet uh, and potentially help the clients as they think about how they want to work uh, in, in this new, new world uh, that we're probably going to find ourselves in. And then separately, but relatedly, changes that we might want to make in terms of our internal uh, operations. Uh, so, Such as? So I think in terms of the, the external is this point about we've been, we've been very pleasantly surprised by the way in which our clients have been very keen and very accepting of the virtual engagement, uh, which is much more practical, uh, much more cost effective uh, for all the parties. So as a result of which, as we start thinking about, you know, as Thomas alluded to, travel budgets, the amount of time we spend out physically meeting our clients. But of course, if we're not doing that, the knock-on effect of that is how do we still remain relevant and engage with our clients? And that relates to the production of more digital content and the way in which we then use that uh, with our clients. And then on, on the internal side, it's really been around trying to, to understand and, and, and get a better sense of actually where we've seen these pinch points as we've moved to this work from home uh, environment uh, and what can we learn from that. And also, yes, an acceptance that probably over time we'll see a greater number of our staff uh, wanting to spend uh, more time working from home. So we've started to think about the policies and procedures around how we can support that, but still deliver a risk-controlled uh, solution to our clients. Thank you. Uh, Andrew? Yeah, I would agree with everything that's been and said. And In terms of reducing travel and clients accepting and being actually quite enthusiastic about having webinars and, and digital communication um, also agree on the digital content as well and increasing, increasingly using that already, but this, this has really accelerated that, that process. Um, more generally, it's, it's just 
reducing the amount of paper we're using. And, and we, we had, like many, many firms have, was the, the, um, the green targets for reducing, reducing CO2 emissions. And, and on, on the travel side, that's clearly, um, in, in the short term, uh, going to be exceeded um, they, in terms of, on, on the downside, exceeded. Um, but in the longer term, probably we'll be able to meet, meet those targets much more easily than we had thought. But on the paper side, um, even, even more so, um, and the sort of the wrinkle, wrinkle there was a number of our sort of internal processes. You know, we had digitized, but there's one or two that hadn't been. And so there's a lot of acceleration on that. So using e-signatures for things is going to become much more common and, and having lots, lots of, lots fewer legal agreements printed out and lots, or just lots less paper, period. Uh, I, thank you, Andrew. I think, Hanukkah, you wanted to come in. Is that right? Oh, uh, David, then. Sorry, I did. David. Oh, right. So go, 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 you know, no, Hannah could go ahead and then David. And then I think oh, you had wanted to come in. I, I was on mute, not, not realizing that. Um, Don't worry. So it's new I, technology. I think it's one of uh, the things we're thinking about is um, how going forward we're going to work with um, attracting and developing talent. So I think this, this working from home environment does create lots of opportunities to. Um, to certain types of people that perhaps historically have been more difficult to attract because they would like a more flexible working environment. And now that we have established, we already had some established policies, but we've been able to expand them pretty swiftly. So I think this will really help to tap into the pool of uh, people who return from parental leave, people that perhaps have disabilities, who uh, have difficulties getting to a physical office and so on and so forth. Equally, we're also spending time in thinking through how, in, in sort of a new way of working, how we're going to mentor and develop the next generation, which is clearly hugely important because the opportunity to actually give informal feedback is, is reduced in, in the current construct. And I think we need to figure out how we create those opportunities so we can uh, actually train and develop that next bench. But I do think it creates a lot of opportunities on the talent side uh, as well that can't be ignored. From the t on the talent side, did you say? Yes, on, on our on ability to yes. attract a wider range, <clears throat> yeah. as an industry, a wider range of yes. people. Yeah, I think, uh, I, can't, I think, David, you wanted to come in. Thanks, Lars. I I think one of the things we've been really focused on is how to use the energy of this to change culture. I think it, I think it was Lenin who said that there are decades when nothing happens and then there are weeks when decades happen. And I think we're at one of those points now. And I am trying really hard to use that momentum. You know, we've always been, I think, very speedy in making investment decisions, but somewhat slow in making business decisions. And yet we're finding that actually we can get committees now uh, to meet virtually very quickly. Our mutual fund board has had several meetings over uh, Zoom very uh, effectively. Our clients are finding that they can get their investment committees to meet very quickly now uh, over video. And I think that this has the potential to truly change the kind of rate, the metabolic rate at which decisions are made and at which we can move as, a, as an industry. And I think we should try to really use that momentum while we've got it. Okay. Uh, Ewan, did you have anything you wanted to say about things you're thinking of changing? 
Um, well, I agree with what a lot was said. I was going to make a point about making sure we had the right right talent, uh, particularly on the client engagement side, which is we, we'd already been investing in the digital client engagement, giving clients access to their own data portals. Um, but there's a slightly different skill set involved in that than we'd be traditionally involved in asset management. So just making sure we've got the the right the right people. Um, I should also say that I'm really looking forward to getting back to something a bit more like what we had before as well, though. Uh, so while I think we'll never be the same again, I agree with all of that. I do believe that creative industries cluster for a reason. Um, and I think the reason is that um, a lot of great ideas are the result of pretty smart people with uh, similar adjacent agendas, whether that's credit guys talking to equity guys and economists meeting with rates managers. Um, if you don't have these people having coffee together, um, you're going to miss out on the investment creativity and idea generation. So um, I, I, that's actually the thing I worry about most in the virtual world. Um, it's we, We're having all the meetings. I would agree that uh, governance meetings are probably more efficient than they've ever been but the human connection around them is harder to create. That's the conversations before and after. And so, um, so I, I'm hoping that we'll still have uh, dealing floors. Uh, we just won't need to be there five days a week. Um, and, uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, some of it will be the same and some of it will never be the same again. Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to move on unless someone who hasn't spoken has got something to add that hasn't been said already. Yeah, I have Naim here, it's fine. Yeah, go on, Naeem. No, ju ju just one, one comment. I, I think there is the people aspect, and uh, we are all over-communicating to the clients, and it's working. It, it came as a very positive surprise. Internally, I think uh, this crisis is bringing more empathy and uh, humility in the way that it's so important, so huge, impacting everyone, everywhere. And... Uh, uh, we are seeing some qualities emerging from some of the people and uh, managing the stress and the anxiety of the people took us a lot of time giving them coaching and employee assistance. And in fact, we discovered some uh, human side and I think that hopefully will remain in our business. And it, for me, it's a new lesson. And maybe another, another comment is gaining in efficiency uh, I think I will add something is eventually less office space, but better work environment. And this is also the human aspect, adding something with more well-being, less space, open space, something that can help people engaging and socializing. This is also my second takeaway. Okay, thank you for that. Jean? Yes, a couple of points to echo a bit what Ewan said. I just don't believe what we're living today is the new normal. Maybe I'm caricaturing, maybe that's evident, but there will be a return to normal with some accommodations. Anyway, that's my expectation. The return to normal with some accommodation will be like the debate on how fast the economy will start up again once we turn it back on. It's not gonna be as straightforward and as speedy as we moved into remote working. And that will require a fair bit of thought, I think engagement with our with our staff and our people, uh, because we're going to have varying degrees, be it because of geography, be it also because of people's individual situations. So we're going to have to integrate in our thinking, at least as far as we're concerned, 
probably gradations in terms of how we go to the new normal. I was going to come on to ESG, and perhaps this is an opportunity to do it. At the first CEO summit I did in March, there was more or less a uniform agreement that uh, ESG, responsible investing, and climate cha- investing in relation to climate change would grow as a result of this. But then I did get a bit of kickback against that as well. One or two people said, um, look, you know, the main focus is going to be repairing the damage to the economy. And also, you know, are, are we really uh, going to start imposing new ESG targets on airline companies, for example, whose main focus is are they going to survive rather than are they emitting too much carbon? So um, uh, it, it was talked about before, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But if you've got specific reasons why you think ESG and, uh, and climate change investing is going to grow, and maybe some examples of it, maybe you're seeing flows already into that, then uh, I think Nick's put his hand up and then, yeah. and then name, because I know this is a specialist area for you. So and think, then Hanukkah. Um, thank you. I mean, I think um, from my perspective, we need to look at the catalysts. So you talked about kind of um, sentiment on a bottom, what I call on a bottom-up basis. Uh, which is the groundswell of opinion from individuals, um, and we can't ignore that. But I, I, another key factor is regulation. Um, we've seen how much regulation drives behaviour, uh, and there's a very significant piece of regulation coming out of Brussels, specifically around responsible investing, which is going to be a huge catalyst for change. It is going to prompt um, institutional investors and retail investors to have to think about their approach to and their attitude towards responsible investing in ESG. And that will then drive through downstream right the way through the industry. So from my, from my perspective, yes, there are those, those subtle nuances uh, around, is it the right time to put pressure, more pressure on airlines, for example. But I think more broadly, what we're seeing is the regulators not backing away from wanting to, to address this. The way they're going to address it is by pushing the onus onto us as the product providers and to our clients to consider it and have to consider it. So from my perspective, there's absolutely both top down from a regulatory perspective and bottom up. And the active space is the space where we can deliver uh, against those two uh, dynamics to, to provide appropriate outcomes for our clients. Uh, okay, uh, Hanukkah, then Naeem, and then I'd like to bring Angus in on the EU regulation. Hanukkah. So I, 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 just following on from what Nick has said, what we think has been so interesting in this crisis, uh, how much good we have actually seen emerge from aligning values to national and global interests. And if you actually think about the speed with which authorities around the world, policymakers, regulators, as well as companies have acted to respond to both the economic as well as social costs of COVID-19. We can't help but think that if we can do this for a virus, surely we must be able to use this experience to tackle the bigger challenges that the planet and and we all face, climate climate change for sure uh, being one of those. So we believe very much that, like Nick said, that regulation will play its part, but also companies, uh, we believe, need to be true to their word and held, be held accountable by us as asset managers and asset owners for their actions by shareholders and also broader society. And this will come in the form of better targets, better disclosures, and again, through the ownership um, us holding them accountable for their actions to get to a better world. Okay, thank you, Annika. Naeem, are you seeing flows into your ESG strategies? Yeah, definitely. 
Maybe I would like to take a step back, but to say that it's fair to say that for many years we have, we have missed the warning sign of what's happening to our planet in terms of climate change, social inequality, underfunded healthcare. And uh, today it's a real wake-up call for all of us. We have the catalyst and the silver lining to, to this crisis are the fact that we have a unique opportunity to change and to rethink our system, our society and economy. And here, as a, it's not, uh, we have an alignment of planets between the people who are saying never again, the governments are empowered by the people to move and act again. And uh, the reality is they are moving fast with the rescue package at scale and businesses are responding positively. And if I go a step down and I see how active management can play a role in the banking system, clearly we have a role to play and it's our duty to play. First, we have to do it at the corporate level by practicing what we preach, leading by example, bridging the gap in education, and in terms of management for our client, engaging more actively, and this is where I see the active management moving forward, stewardship, and not only, and you cannot do it easily with the passive management. And the last and the most important point for me is we can, Finance the, finance the change through channeling capital from the financial market to the real economy. And we know that if we want to achieve the sustainable development goals, we need roughly 30 trillion in the coming 10 years. And with all the debt we have around, active management can play a role by moving part of the asset from the financial through infrastructure project, social project, and meeting the needs of the client through more inclusive and purpose in our investment. Okay, thank you. Uh uh, Angus, did you want to just uh, elaborate on that EU rule that's relevant that I think Nick alluded to? Yeah, just, just um, very briefly, the way it's been explained to me, this is going to be a taxonomy of companies that uh, meet criteria defined by the EU as, as, um, as affecting some sort of positive uh, you know, climate change impact. And the, the feeling, so I, my, special, my specialist area is the fund selected community. And I've been doing quite a lot of these virtual um, discussions with those guys over the last uh, two, three weeks. And um, this, this subject, subject has come up quite a lot, the subject of these uh, e-regs. And, and there's a feeling amongst the fund selectors that uh, we will see, not to put too fine a point upon it, who's been swimming naked. Because uh, the, the feeling is that there'll be a lot of funds that are branded or promoted as ESG friendly or sustainable that are going to end up having, you know, maybe 10 or 15% of their assets qualifying uh, under this EU taxonomy, which is, is, uh, is, is quite a big difference to the way they're being promoted. Okay. Uh, time, thank you, Angus. Time, time is... Oh, uh, Andrew, yes, come in. Thanks, Florence. Now, we're sort of assuming that ESG is going to happen because of our asset allocation or because it flows into our funds or because of government regulation, but to, to a large extent, it's going to happen because of individuals' choices and, and, and what the demand from, from consumers. And as that shifts, and I think there's a perfect example um, of that, it, it's going to become much less socially acceptable to jump on a plane or to jump in an in a internal combustion engine car in the future than, than, than it was in the past. And, and that will drive the change at the corporate level and that will drive investment returns 
Um, and so this will this this will happen. Um, I think well, we're all agreeing it's going to happen um, faster or slower, but to a large extent driven by consumer preference rather than investor preference. But uh, 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 yes, go on, Ewan. Yeah, I was just, I was just uh, I agree with all of that. I was just going to make one point, which maybe just, uh, I mean, I think the environmental aspect of ESG hasn't gone away. I think it's a, it's a bandwagon that isn't, isn't going to stop. And, um, and I, 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 I don't think COVID-19 has made any difference to that. I think what COVID-19 has changed, though, is the S. It's the social side. Because while I think this, this uh, crisis has brought a lot of us together, um, to simply say we're all in this together isn't quite true. Uh, it's brought out the societal differences. And, uh, and even, I'm sure, like many of my fellow panellists, I'm acutely aware that self, you know, and I'm not self-isolating in any way beyond what everybody else is in terms of staying in my own home. But for me, it's a very different experience for, for many of my staff who are in smaller homes with kids who are out of school in the background. And, um, and, and I do think that um, co companies that have built their wealth on the gig economy and the exploitation of cheap labor and what have you, I think are going to be held to really hard account. Uh, as we move out of this and how people treat their staff and their customers and how they did treat them during this crisis yeah, is yeah. going to be really important. Uh, so we've only really got nine minutes left and, and I, I, I wanted to kind of go around the room uh, and just ask you to think of one thing that you think is, is, is really important that you would highlight from this crisis uh, relevant to asset management that you would either you think is going to be different going forward or you would like to be different going forward. Just just one thing uh, that, that, that is important to you. It, it has to be relevant to either asset managers or to the clients. It's something that, that you would um, in a few sentences encapsulate. Who would like? Oh, yes, go on, David. So as we came out of the uh, GFC and uh, central banks around the world did bail out both banks and the markets, this led to uh, a period where we had more inequality uh, in much of the world than we've ever had. And my sincere hope is that we've learned the lesson of that and that as we now construct uh, government programs and others, that we uh, spend uh, much more time thinking about actually how to get that loan into your hands, Lawrence, uh, so that you can project jobs, so that we actually invest heavily in Main Street um, and that we don't come out of this with much worse inequality than we need to. We need to reverse that. And my biggest fear is that uh, most crises actually exacerbate this problem. And we're going to have to lean heavily into the wind to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Thank you. I think, Tom, you had your hand up. Yeah. It, building on what David said, I agree with that. The, you know, in the GFC, the financial industry very much came out, arguably rightfully so, as the villain. And this crisis is hitting everybody. There's no villain other than, than the virus itself. But we're also recognizing we are very advantaged. And I, I, the fact that you know, at Bearings, I'm able to say to our employees, no, we're not going to reduce your salaries. We're going to be fine. Uh, we have a strong uh, mutual 
transparent. You know, I think our employees hopefully are getting a sense of, boy, we're fairly lucky. You know, we weren't, you know, we are in an industry, we're with a company where we are doing good, we are bringing money, not just through our social programs to those in need and frontline workers uh, in the cities where we live, but we're also, we're still out there, we're investing, we're lending, you know, to much, much to what David said. And so, you know, I hope in some ways the financial industry, you almost came out with a, uh, a sense of, I feel bad about being in this industry. I'm hoping we come out with a sense of, I'm proud to work with this industry. We do provide essential services and we are fortunate to have jobs with companies that when the things got really bad, yeah, yeah. we were the ones to be able to help. Yeah, excellent. And uh, Andrew? I was going to make, make a point slightly similar to David's one about and the winners and losers from, from this. And it's a generational point rather than a, a rich and poor point or a wealthy and less wealthy point. Um, and so just as in the GFC, um, the public sector bailed out the private sector. In this case, uh, once again, the public sector is bailing out the private sector and different parts of the private sector. Um, but what does, what does that mean in, in, in real terms? It means that the next generations are going to be paying for this um, in higher taxes um, and in, in slower growth, probably. Um, and, and that's a, a generational point, um, which I think is, uh, you know, our... Our millennials are already aware of of the of, of the uh, of the environment that they have created, and they're also very aware of the financial position um, of, of of the economy that, that that they have inherited, and it's not necessarily a good one. Okay. Uh, anyone else like to come in? Uh, yeah. Nick, Nick, and then Jean. Okay, I, I'm taking a different uh, point and picking up actually on something that Jean alluded to uh, to earlier. Um, you know, humans naturally seem to revert to form and revert to norm. Um, at the same time, we've all acknowledged that it's been amazing how we as leaders, our staff and our clients have all naturally accepted a very different way of interacting. And that that way of interacting provides, can provide greater efficiency, less impact uh, on the environment and a better environment for our staff to be able to work. And I guess my hope is, is that those lessons lead to the fact that we don't put back up the barriers that we always kind of implicitly held about, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. It won't work. People won't accept it. We've seen now that people do accept it. And whilst clearly there will be some reversion back towards norm, my hope is, is that we understand that and then picking up on, on uh, Anakay's point, it allows us to truly provide a better working environment for our staff and to be able to allow that to drive greater diversification within our workforce and a, a more aligned work-life balance, but still maintaining true quality of service to our clients. Thank you, Nick. Uh, John, I think you wanted to say something. Yes, uh, going back to your initial preamble of this last round, comments, what is it that our industry can do or should do, should promote, given what has happened. I like to believe that this can give a greater sounding voice to those 
who believe that financial markets right now are really too short-term focused. We should really take the mantle and promote long-termism. And that, can in, that, that resonates with some of the comments made about our stakeholders, our employees, financing, doing our role of financing the economy towards a, a, a new setup, a new normal, uh, helping future generations to cope with the debt burden we have created. And I think that can take many examples, including some of the things we've just said, as well as, to me, what is the emblematic, the emblem of this, which is quarterly reporting, which I continue to find uh, as counterintuitive to what we want management teams to, to do and think about. And when I, when I heard earlier this week on some international news network, some commentary about this quarterly season being useless, I think that's a further example that we are really too short-termist too short in the way financial markets are working and we should tackle this issue head on uh, and take the opportunity of doing so now. Thank you. Hanukkah. Um, just following on from my earlier theme, I would just hope that what comes out of this is that we as asset managers and allocators of capital can work with companies to just really tackle the bigger challenges we face, including uh, both climate change as well as the increase in social inequality uh, that we're seeing around the world. Um, so that is my hope for mm. both asset management uh, as well as society at large. Thank you. Thank you, Hanneke. Uh, Ewan? Yeah, um, I, think, I think at the start of this year, I was pretty confident that we would be able to, um, you know, attract assets and grow our business by, um, you know, our ESG capabilities and so on. I didn't think there was much chance of persuading people the advantages of highly diversified portfolios and risk management and all of these kind of things. Um, and I think that's changed. So um, I, I'm fully on board with the ESG agenda, but I do think that um, a decade of, um, of being able to buy anything and it go up uh, has, uh, has meant that um, people forgot about uh, portfolio construction and risk management. And, uh, and I think hopefully advisors, wealth advisors, um, you know, actuaries, everyone who's involved in advising pension plans and so on will be more willing to listen to that narrative. Good. Uh, has anybody not spoken who'd like to speak? Yeah, uh, I will do it in, in 30 seconds because we already covered the topic. Uh, I think my message is to say, let us invest in the future so we do not have to endure it. And today, this alignment of interest offers us the momentum we need to act collectively and initiate the changes we all want to see for ourselves and for the future generation. Thank you. Thank you. So um, just in concluding, well, I guess one of the silver linings is uh, I've never been able to hold a CEO summit that's brought together people from uh, North Carolina, New York, from Paris, from Edinburgh, from London. Uh, we've all been able to come together and, and have a good discussion. I'm sorry, it's a bit rushed. I think an hour is perhaps a tiny bit too short, but uh, I, I do need to stick to time. Uh, I just want to say thank you all. Uh, be well, be safe. Uh, look forward to seeing you in person and hopefully not the too distant future. And uh, uh, thank you very much.